Well, would you turn in your Bibles with me to Luke's Gospel, to chapter 1, and we'll be, be looking at verse 14 and on. Well, the story resumes for us in chapter 1, verse 14, but it will help us to begin reading in verse, from verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And this is where the story begins. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, help us to hear your word that we might truly understand and understand that we might believe and believe that we might live for you in all faithfulness. We ask that by your Holy Spirit would you teach us not to live by bread alone, but upon the heavenly food, upon the word of Christ, we are now to hear. Nourish us through Christ, we pray. Amen. Luke's Gospel begins with a man and an angel. When Zechariah was encountered by this angel, he wasn't in the comfort of his home, nor was he somewhere in the fields, but he was in the very temple of God in the holy sanctuary. And he was in that holy sanctuary to fulfill a most privileged task. Chosen by lot, he was given the responsibility to enter into that holy sanctuary to offer a prayer of thanksgiving and a prayer of supplication on behalf of all of God's people. And it was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, 
One that most priests were never able to have. And for Zechariah, it was definitely the highest point of his pastoral career. The pinnacle of his priestly ministry. You know, I suppose that if you were to ask a pastor as to the highlight of their pastoral ministry, one might say earning a Ph.D. in some field of biblical expertise or maybe publishing some important theological work. I don't know. Well, I myself, I have written a thesis that resides in the library at the Master Seminary. But it's more like a low light than a highlight. Because I don't know if there's a single person who has ever checked out that work in the library. And I know that because whenever I make a visit every few years to take a look at my book, the pages are too crispy and too brand new. And the last person who touched it was probably me a few years prior. That's not special. That's really just very sad. For Zechariah though, He had reached his highlight. Burning incense and interceding before the presence of God in that holy place on behalf of all the people. But within this shining moment of his life, there was a cloud. There was a heavy burden in his heart. And in this high point in Zechariah's life, God came to him and addressed what was his low point. The angel came to him and said, Don't be afraid. For your prayer has been heard. And what was that prayer? It was a prayer that he and his wife would hope to be parents. For many years they prayed. They prayed earnestly and fervently for a child. But as time went by, those prayers became less frequent. And in time, they accepted that God's answer was no. And most likely as they grew older and as Elizabeth was past age, their prayer changed from, Lord, give us a child, to Lord, give us the grace to accept that we will have no child. But God sent an angel and answered this couple's long-ceased prayer. Your prayer has been heard and your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. Well, this is for us where part one ends and part two begins. And as we do so, if you look down with me in Luke chapter 1, notice we come right back to the very middle of the angel's announcement to Zechariah. And what we find here firstly is this. That Zechariah received more. He received more than what he prayed for. He had prayed for a child, but this was no ordinary child. Notice verse 14, the angel says to Zechariah, And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And so this child wasn't going to be just any child, but a child used in a special way for the Lord. You see, any child brings joy and gladness to his parents, its parents, I would hope so. But this child was to bring joy and gladness to many. Many will rejoice At his birth. In other words, this child was going to have a ministry with others. The people of God were going to benefit in some way and in some manner because of this child. Many will rejoice at his birth, verse 15, for he will be great before the Lord. Well, how would he be great? What do we find out about greatness from the Lord Jesus? Remember in Matthew 18, the disciples came to him asking, 
Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus took a child and he said, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Well, what does Jesus teach us about greatness? That greatness is meekness. That the way up is the way down. And you'll remember when an eager mother came to Jesus asking that her two sons sit at his right and at his left in the kingdom. It sparked an argument among the disciples. And Jesus said to them, well, whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And so Jesus said that greatness is defined by humility and lowliness. And what do we find John the Baptist later confessing? He must increase, but I must decrease. And then the angel tells Zechariah here, he must not drink wine or strong drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Now, why would God send an angel down from heaven to tell Zechariah not to give this baby wine or strong drink, right? Isn't that obvious? What kind of parent gives their baby red wine with carrots or alcohol with his applesauce? The angel was giving Zechariah the requirements of a Nazarite vow. We find in Numbers chapter 6 that the Nazarite vow was a special vow that a woman or a man took to separate him or herself to the Lord. And so what then was the angel communicating to Zechariah? That this child who is to be great before the Lord, used in humble service to the Lord, was to be utterly separate for the Lord. And to make sure that people knew that what he said came from God, rather than the influence of alcohol, he was not to be filled with wine or strong drink, but be filled with the Holy Spirit and that from the womb. He was to be set apart, not just for a period of time, says the angel, but for the entirety of his life. And what we have to see here is that this was very unusual. You see, the prophets of old were anointed by the Spirit, but the, this prophet was, was the first to be filled with the Spirit from his mother's womb. And so Zechariah simply prayed for a child. But he was getting more than what he prayed for. It was beyond what any God-fearing parent could ask. It was amazing enough for Zechariah and Elizabeth to have a son in their old age. But a son called to greatness in special service to the Lord filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, God was doing something above and beyond as there was a greater purpose in which He was fulfilling. Now, I want you to notice something here that needs to be pointed out. Notice that God doesn't fill things with the Holy Spirit, but that He fills people with the Holy Spirit. Which is to say that what was in Elizabeth's womb wasn't just a blob of cells or the lowest grade of living cells, but a person. A person. And that's not insignificant in the days in which we live. That inside her womb was a person, a person filled with the Holy Spirit and a person who belonged to God. And you see, when Zechariah and Elizabeth went home, what they needed to know was that this child wasn't simply theirs to keep and to bring up as they sought fit. But that God was giving them guidelines so as to rear this child, not simply for themselves, but
but for the Lord their God. It's because this child was going to be great, used greatly by the Lord. And these two parents were going to be used by the Lord as instruments in molding this child, in shaping this child for the very specific purpose for which God had called them. You know, for those of us who are parents, though our children are not prophets or forerunners of the Messiah, here's what we need to know. That the Lord gives them to us that we might be instruments in parenting them and raising them in the fear and in the admonition of the Lord. That we would nourish and nurture them in a way that the greatest thing in their lives wouldn't be how successful they are, but their faith. And so we pray oftentimes as, as parents, we pray, Lord, grant to them saving faith. Give to them the grace to know you. And oftentimes the Lord answers those prayers through parents. Something that I think we as parents forget is that our children at the end of the day, they are not ours. They are not ours. You know, I really wish that someone had told me that in the first year of parenting, that my daughter is not mine, but the Lord's. And to not only know that, but to, to parent like that with God and the worship of Him as the highest priority. For us who are parents, maybe you're a new parent, maybe you're an old parent, has anything about your worship changed? Less frequency, less fervor. Has there developed in you a diminishing fear of the Lord? You need to ask, how will I raise my child in the fear of the Lord if I myself have no fear of the Lord? You know, I can speak from first-hand experience. I remember when I first became a parent, uh, it, it did change. I'm not going to lie, it did change. And the reason was not because I was tired, but because my priorities had changed. Well, what did I need to learn as well as Zachariah? To say to God, this child is, is yours. And not only this child, but I myself, I am yours. Zechariah prayed, just, just give me a child. But God responded to him, I, I just don't give children, Zechariah. I give children for my glory. And notice here in Luke that the angel wasn't finished. Look at verse 16. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Now up to this point, everything in which the angel had said to Zechariah was amazing enough. But what he said next was altogether different. Now why this talk about Elijah and turning the hearts of the fathers to children is because it had been 400 years since God last spoke. The last time God spoke, it was through the prophet Malachi about the coming of God in Christ for the salvation of His, of his people. I want you to listen to how God closed the Old Testament through His prophet. He said, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children 
and the hearts of children to their fathers. Not that Elijah himself would come down from heaven, but that a prophet would come with the same power and with the same spirit in which God had given to Elijah. And you see, Zechariah was very aware of that promise. And so when the angel appeared and started talking about the spirit and power of Elijah, about turning the hearts of the fathers to their children, about getting ready for God, he was, he was announcing salvation. He was telling Zechariah, God is making His way to us. The Messiah, the Anointed One, He's coming. Salvation is at hand. But before He comes, God is going to send to us a prophet in the likeness of Elijah. And the angel was saying, that very prophet, that anticipated forerunner, will be your son, Zechariah. He's going to be the prophetic signal. He's going to be the prophetic pointer that God has come down to us in flesh. Now why do the Gospel accounts begin with John the Baptist? Why is his ministry so important? It's because the thing to do when God in flesh is coming is to be ready. It's to be ready. And this was the message in which John the Baptist preached a message of repentance that prepared the people for Jesus. But here was the problem. Here was the problem. As Zechariah received more than what he prayed for, notice secondly here, that Zechariah himself, he wasn't ready. That the father of the one who was to prepare the people for the coming Savior, he wasn't prepared. How does he respond? How does he respond to what might have been the most significant announcement in over 400 years? And the answer is with unbelief. Look at verse 18. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I'm an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. His reaction was, well, this can't be. Uh, this can't be because this, is, this it won't happen. Why? It's because such a thing is biologically, it's impossible. Look at how old we are. Now I want you to see here that Zachariah's response wasn't so much that he and his wife couldn't make it happen, but that God couldn't make it happen. Listen to what the angel said. The angel said, your prayer has been heard. God has answered your prayer. In other words, God has decided to make this happen. But Zechariah, he was filled with disbelief. His biology may have been correct, but not his theology. The old Reformed commentator William Hendrickson, he says here, for this reaction there was no excuse it was definitely a response of unbelief, sinful skepticism. And it's very simple. He refused to take God at His word. This is the sin of unbelief. You know, there are people who believe that the Bible was written by men, but they doubt that it was written by God. There are people who believe that Jesus was a man, but they doubt that He was also God. People believe that Jesus died, but they doubt 
that he rose from the dead. It is the sin of unbelief. You see, it takes faith to accept God's word. It takes faith to receive God's Son and to enter into God's salvation. You know, if you're not a Christian here this afternoon, this is what God wants from you. That you take Him at His word. That you believe what He says because what He says is right and true. That the way of salvation is through God's Son, Jesus Christ. You see, God sent to us one who is greater than any prophet. God sent to us His only begotten Son. And that in the likeness of sinful flesh, in the likeness of sinners like you and me, and for sin, God condemns sin in the flesh, in Jesus Christ, upon the cross. But Christ who was crucified was raised from the dead. And the very Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead is able to raise you from death to new life. Therefore, non-Christian, take God at His word. Trust in His promise to save. Turn from unbelief. Place your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Well, as we turn our attention to Zechariah, notice he, he had trusted in God's promise to save him. He had leaned upon the righteousness that comes from God and not his own. Notice we're told at the beginning of the story that he and his wife, they were righteous before God. Well, what happened? What happens to all of us and the best of us? He had a lapse of faith. He stumbled and he fell by failing to believe God and His Word. And you see, that happens to all of us. It happens to us as Christians more often than we would want. We reason with our own judgments that our own judgments are to be trusted more than what God has promised to us in His Word. And this happened to one whom Luke described as blameless. Which is to say there is no one who is ever not in need of Christ. Not even Zechariah, who was righteous before God, blameless, walking in all His commandments and statutes. Here was Zechariah. He, he was a priest. He was well acquainted with the Word. And yet he forgot about all that God had done throughout redemptive history, how He opens the barren womb and does the impossible. He forgot. He forgot when the Lord told Abraham, is anything too hard for the Lord? He forgot. He forgot about Isaac and all the other divine interventions in the Bible like Samuel, like Samson. And he should have concluded that since God had done it before, he could do it again. But he doubted God. And also notice that what he doubted was the very thing in which he for so many years prayed. He prayed for this. And when God answered his prayer, he still doubted. When the angel said to him that his prayer had been answered, right then and there he had every reason to believe, yet he forgot even his own prayer. You ever do that, Christian? You pray for something, the Lord answers your prayer, and you forget. Or worse, you refuse to believe. He didn't believe that God could answer his prayer. 
And as a reader, we can sit here surprised at the response of this priest, Zechariah. And we can sit here and as we read our Bibles, we can say to Zechariah, how is it that you don't believe? You just prayed for this. You have a number of examples of God doing this all throughout Scripture. The angel in blazing glory just told you that this would happen. You know, when we look at Zechariah's unbelief, we can ask the question, why, why did he respond the way in which he did? And the answer is that he wanted to know for sure. He was given the Word of God, but the Word of God wasn't enough for him. And this is why I think the details of this story are recorded by Luke in this gospel. You see, when Luke wrote this gospel, he could, have left out, he could have left out this part of the story. Look at the narrative. He could have ended at the end of verse 17 with the words of promise from the angel and then skipped over to verse 24 when John is conceived. He could have done that. And the story would have kept going. But instead, Luke gives to us the details of Zechariah's unbelief. Well, why did Luke include this episode? It's because he was writing with a purpose. He was writing the gospel of knowing for sure. And that to Theophilus. Remember at the very beginning of Luke chapter 1, verse 4, he tells us that this was written to Theophilus, that he would have certainty concerning the things he was taught Luke was writing to Theophilus who was struggling with the same kind of unbelief who himself wanted to know for sure. You see, as Theophilus read this story, he would have responded like any outside observer. Zachariah, what are you doing? What are you thinking? How is it that you don't believe in God's Word? His promise to you is true. Why are you not trusting in it? He has sent an angel to you. It would have been clear and obvious to Theophilus that this good news had come from God. Now notice this good news. Notice that Luke himself describes the news in which Zechariah received as good news. Look down at the end of verse 19. The angel says, I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. Now, what is another way to say good news? It's gospel. Luke describes this promise of good news as the gospel. As gospel. I was sent to speak to you this gospel. Luke is not just a historian, brothers and sisters, but he is an evangelist writing to Theophilus about the certainty of the gospel. So that Theophilus, in reading this episode of Zechariah, would look into the episode of doubt in his own life to see and realize the necessity to take God 
at His Word. That He too has been given a promise. The promise of salvation in Christ. And to respond to that promise the way in which He wanted Zechariah to respond to His promise. To respond to the Gospel. How He thought Zechariah should have responded to His Gospel. And so that's why I believe Luke gives us these details here. He was a soul winner for Christ and a masterful one at that. To get Theophilus to see the folly of his own unbelief and his doubt. Now coming back to Zechariah, thus far we have found that Zechariah received more than what he prayed for and that Zechariah himself wasn't ready. Now notice thirdly, that Zechariah was made a believer, but not without the judgment of God. The angel responds to Zechariah. Look with me in chapter 1, verse 19. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, now sent to speak to you and to bring to you this good news. Why did the angel respond in the way in which he did? He was answering and responding to Zechariah's doubt. How shall I know this? How do I know if what you're telling me is true? Notice the angel's answer. He identifies himself. And in identifying himself, he revealed to Zechariah the folly of his unbelief. The angel says, I am Gabriel. And Zechariah would have known immediately who he was. That he was the angel from of old who had visited the prophet Daniel to help him understand God's word to him. That he was the angel who delivers messages from God whose name means God is my strength. That if Zechariah doubted the ability of God, here was the angel Gabriel to remind him of the strength and the power and the might and the ability of God. But Gabriel gives to Zechariah more than just his name, but the place from which he has come. He says, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. I behold His glory. That's what He's saying here. I belong to the entourage of heavenly beings that abide before His throne and never cease to give Him praise. And you see, His words were an indictment against Zechariah. It's because when someone speaks with credibility of what is spoken is directly related to the character and the integrity of the person speaking. That's why in a court of law, you want witnesses who are credible, right? It's one thing not to believe a person who is a liar, but it's another thing not to believe God who has never lied. And so when you don't believe God's word, you are assaulting His very integrity. And that is what is going on here. Gabriel says, I stand in the presence of God so as to say, It was God who sent me to announce these things to you. I speak not on my own authority, but by the authority of God. And so the problem for Zechariah is not that he didn't believe in God, but that he didn't believe God. That was his issue. And to believe God is the very essence of what makes us Christian. That's how we live as Christians. The righteous shall live by faith, by believing God, by trusting God. Now, even before Zechariah is able to respond, the angel says, 
chapter 1, verse 20. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their time. Here was the judgment. God closed His mouth. His lips were sealed. He was made mute. But not only was He made mute, but deaf, as we'll see later on at the end of the chapter. But He would remain this way for nine months until the birth of His Son. Now, while all of this is going on inside the sanctuary, remember that the people have been waiting outside in the courtyard. And it seems like they've been waiting for months. They've been praying. And they must have been wondering, why is Zechariah taking so long? Look at verse 21. And the people were waiting for Zechariah and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service had ended, he went to his home. Zechariah, he couldn't say a word. He couldn't explain to them what had just happened. He was speechless. He was struck silent. And that because God had judged him for his unbelief. Remember what the priest offering the incense had to do when he exited the sanctuary? When he exited the sanctuary, he was supposed to give the benediction, the priestly benediction. He was supposed to come outside, raise his hands, and give the Lord's blessing upon the people. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. But he couldn't do it. All Zechariah could do was make some sort of sad attempt to make signs And I don't even know how he communicated this. It must have been something like this and something like this. I don't know. Some kind of hand movements. He had heard the greatest news that anyone had heard in 400 years. But because of his unbelief, God had disabled him. Well, what was God doing? What was God doing? Striking... Zechariah, the priest of God, he was preparing him. He wasn't ready. So God was preparing him. And that by marring him in order to mend him. Disabling his pride to teach him See, at the end of the day, God's dealing with Zechariah wasn't merely punitive, but it was ultimately remedial. All that God was doing to this man was to grow him and to draw him towards himself in greater trusting faith in him. He lacked faith. And so God was giving him more faith. And that through the misery of his own silence. So that during this time of no speaking, no hearing, and isolation, 
you would contemplate his resistance towards God and repent of his unbelief. To think about his unworthiness in order to look upon God's trustworthiness. You see, God in his grace was doing something in Zechariah that he needed more than anything else, even more than a child, even more than a son. He was creating a greater dependency in Zechariah upon his God and Savior. Which is why the manner in which God dealt with Zechariah, it wasn't judgment. It was all grace. And beloved, when we go through trials and afflictions in our own lives, you see, for us, we must trust and we must take God at His word that it's not judgment, but it's only grace. Let's close with verse 24. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. The Lord answers his prayer. But the Lord answers his prayer by giving him more than he ever asked. By giving him a Savior and by preparing him for that very Savior. Notice that when the nine months of silence The nine months of silence had ended. Look with me in chapter 1, verse 64. Chapter 1, verse 64. Tells us that the very first thing to come out of his mouth after nine months of silence, it was worship. The last time he had spoke, he spoke words of unbelief. Nine months later, words of worship. And may we trust that the grace in which God was working in Zechariah, that he is also doing in you and in me, church. Let's pray together. Faithful God, our Father, in your divine wisdom, you know what's best. And would we know that our Father in Heaven knows best. And what may seem severe in trial and affliction, would we see that it is purely grace. Grace that is growing us. Grace that is transforming us. Grace that is preparing us for Heaven. We confess that we are oftentimes dull and dumb to these spiritual realities. And we confess that we many times fail to take you at your word. We believe, but help our unbelief. We thank you for Christ, our Savior, for taking upon himself the judgment only to give us grace. Would we look to him who is the surety of our salvation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.